Hello, friends. Welcome to Le Vital Core Salon. Last time I checked in this timeless and spaceless sort of pandemic we're floating through, I'm still Kara and still your host and salonier. As always, I'm here to help introduce you to impactful women who are navigating bullshit and sidestepping burnout in the hopes that you find some inspiration and some totally actionable things that you can apply in your own lives. This week, I want you to meet Claire Sprouse, who's the owner and culinary dynamo behind Hunky Dory, a low-waste, all-day cafe located in Brooklyn. Claire and I recorded this conversation right around Hunky Dory's first anniversary. At the time, she described year one as being a wild ride. Neither of us knew that only a few weeks later, New York City would become a pandemic hotspot and effectively shut down, including her restaurant. So far, Hunky Dory is hanging on and offering takeout. If you're near Crown Heights in Brooklyn, please go grab some grub. For you far-flung folks who dig Claire's low-waste hospitality initiatives, I'm also including a link to her GoFundMe campaign in the show notes. Or you can just go to GoFundMe and look up Help for Hunkies, and that's spelled H-U-N-K-Y-S. Please spare a few bucks if you can. Voila, here's my conversation with Claire. Hey, Claire, welcome to the Vital Core Salon. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to get to chat with you today. Oh, thanks. I'm really excited. I have a lot of questions for you today. (laughs) I think what you're doing is so creative and so important, and I, I can't wait to hear more about it. But let me set the stage a little for people listening. You're an award-winning bartender and the owner of Hunky Dory, which is a low-waste, all-day cafe and bar in Brooklyn. So maybe we can start with what Hunky Dory is and what low-waste and environmental sustainability means to you. Sure. Hunky Dory is a lot of things, (laughs) I like to say, um, because it's so hard to kind of pinpoint what we do. We are an all-day space in Brooklyn. Um, We give a lot of thought to all of our beverages, whether it's coffee, tea, non-alcoholic drinks, cocktails, beer, natural wine. Uh, We serve food all day. We're located in a neighborhood called Crown Heights here in Brooklyn, um, which is like such a special place to be because it's uh, very bustling, but it's extremely like driven by the people that live here and not so much tourism. So we get to interact in a really meaningful way with all of our neighbors here. On a lot of levels, you know, we're just here as good neighbors providing um, what I like to think of as excellent drinks and hospitality and great food. But one of our underlying and uh, values is sustainability. And for us, you know, it is the driving factor behind everything we do. Um, We don't necessarily ever want people to come in and feel like we're weighing them down with our agenda. Uh, They just want to come in on have a nice drink or be on a Tinder date or (laughs) read a book and enjoy their, their, their beverage or food. They're more than welcome to. There are all these little things that we do that 
help support our mission of sustainability. A lot of that um, in this industry, you'll see like kind of pop up on your newsfeed as like fighting food waste or combating single waste plastic, like straws is has been a big topic of interest the last few years. We approach it in a more holistic way where we think a lot about water, agriculture, um, electricity. We do think a considerable amount about food waste and plastic, but we also try to work within our community to help support like-minded partners like our community garden. And for us, I think like to sum it up, sustainability is this like regenerative process for us. So it's not necessarily about like cutting back and all these things, but how can we support giving back to the planet in the different choices that we make here at the bar and restaurant. So we are always trying to be better. Um, I always cringe a little bit when people think of or mention our space and articles as zero waste because it, to me, that is absolutely not what we are. To be honest, we do generate some waste, um, but I think it also makes it feel a little less approachable, a little less unattainable for other people to try and aim towards that. And so sustainability, being regenerative, giving back to the earth is much more of a journey than it is uh, this thing we can check off on our to-do list. And so we're just always striving to be better every single day. Claire, I love your approach, especially like when you were talking about just the semantic difference between zero waste and low waste. Like one, they're both aiming in the same direction, right? But one is, feels heavy and perfectionist and dogmatic. And one feels like it speaks more to the process and the journey and not so fussy. Yeah, I mean, we're really lucky because sustainability has been a a focus of mine in my professional life for the last several years. And, you know, obviously that carries over into my personal life, but So it it is something that is just ingrained in me no matter what I do. I'm always trying to strive toward some greater goal, but not everybody is, has that like ingrained in them. Not everybody's done the research. And I think that people really undervalue and underestimate the fact that like time, money, um, access to resources, all of those things are, something that come into play when a place is trying to make decisions uh, to attain some sort of greater good or to achieve some sort of value that they have positioned themselves around. And uh, so I'd like to say that, you know, there's great celebration to be had when you have a place that is doing all the things in every way they can. But those spaces that are doing uh, small changes within their means are also worth really celebrating. And um, I do think a lot about semantics because it, at the end of the day, it's what we're communicating to each other and what we're communicating as a movement that I think is really going to be able to create groundswell around these changes. And so we need to be really careful and inclusive when we communicate what we do. Let's back up a little bit. How did you become so vested and so focused on pulling sustainability into the hospitality industry? 
Uh, I was really lucky when I first started waiting tables as a server. I worked at a nose to tail restaurant, which was building off of these kind of countryside traditions in Europe and using a lot of methods to pay respect, but, and utilize every part of the animal because, you know, throughout history, there's been less access to refrigeration and not everybody has the ability or funds to be careless with the resources they have. And so the restaurant I worked at was this place that was just kind of doing really innovative things built upon traditions that had been in place throughout generations and in Europe and elsewhere. And so I've always had like this very healthy idea of just respecting agricultural products, whether they're animals or fruits or vegetables throughout my culinary career, culinary hospitality career. But it really, for me, kind of all fell into place when um, I'm based in New York now, but I used to be in San Francisco for many years. And in 2011 was the height of the last big California drought. Um, California's kind of always in a state of drought, but this was extremely severe. And um, I've mentioned this a few times in other interviews that, you know, the state was passing all this legislation that was very typical of those um, severe moments in, in the drought where you couldn't water your lawn, you had to be a little bit more cautious, but it had finally uh, reached a tipping point where it was spilling over into restaurants and they had passed legislation that you couldn't serve water or offer water to guests at bars and restaurants because they wanted to conserve as much as possible. And that really made me start thinking about how these small choices that we make um, whether it's making a cocktail or how we use our sinks or how we interact with our guests and how we just in general value or not value very basic things like water. That was what kicked off my focus in sustainability. And from there, it's, you know, it's hard to not talk about water without talking about electricity. And it's hard not to talk about water and electricity without talking about carbon footprint. And it was just this huge like tidal wave that kind of just washed over everything that I took for granted or that I, I thought I were my values. And now it's really kind of created this whole new lens that I look through when I make every single decision as a business owner and as a cocktail maker and as a community member. So as I'm listening, I, I get like the nose to tail, right? And you're trying to use like all of the parts of the animal. And then you have this moment that feels like a massive sea change for you or like a big light bulb went on. Like, yes, and, it was that you, aha moment. <laughs> it was definitely sounds like an aha moment. Was it something that you acted on immediately or was it something you kind of had a percolation period or was it like you went to work the next day and we're like, all right, we're going to do it different. Oh my gosh. I think I'm still percolating after all these years. <laughs> I don't know. I think you're getting shit done too. <laughs> A little bit of both. I mean, honestly, I got my degree in art history and <laughs> um, I, you know, this, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a, a climate change expert. I'm not a water expert. And I'm very, try to be very transparent about that. 
um, at the same time being very diligent about um, adhering to facts. I, I don't try to gloss over anything or, you know, try to engage with, um, with these. I think a lot of people sometimes when they talk about climate change, they latch on to these like really exhilarating like statements that will get a lot of rise out of people and they're not necessarily always true, even though they're very uh, well-intentioned. Um, but we have always tried to like adhere to the facts. And I like to say we have a very like Lisa Simpson approach to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> where it might not always be the most glamorous or the most Instagrammable, but we, you know, I think that what we talk about is, is like very, very true to what is going on. And so for me, when I say that I've, I've been percolating on this, this whole time, it's, you know, it took a lot of research. It, it's not, as much as I wanted to go in the next day to work and be like, everything's different. Like, I didn't really know what, what that meant. And I, to this day, I'm like my to do books, like my to read books is ever growing and <laughs> learning. And yesterday I like had a hard time sleeping and, you know, I was stressed out about work and my boyfriend was like, well, maybe it's because you're also reading all these books about how the, the world is ending. <laughs> He's like, that might be contributing to your anxiety levels. I was like, I'm just, I want to be really informed. <laughs> but yeah, no, we, it's been a, a, like a lot of slow changes um, throughout the businesses that I've worked with um, since that aha moment. And sometimes, you know, with new research, a lot of those things have changed. And so it's, it's very fluid what we do. And that's why it's also really important to keep the, the conversation focused on just being better and flexible and also not thinking of any of these choices as being limit, limiting or restraining us from providing like the best hospitality experience or the best food and beverage experience. It's, I, I really try to emphasize that these should all be being more sustainable, all the choices that we make should really be the inspiration for us to create more magical objects and more magical experiences. And a lot of people think that engaging in this movement of sustainability will prohibit them from doing the things they want. And I just think that it opens up so many doors that it adds so much more value to the work we do here. And yeah, I've read like four books already since January 1st on <laughs> climate change. I know it's crazy. I was like, wow, I didn't realize I could read so much and watch so much TV at the same time. <laughs> but, so, so Claire, yeah. it sounds like you're doing a ton of research and that's been probably a fairly consistent thing with you. I guess, what are some of your favorite titles for people listening to really think about what they can do in their own, I would say, kitchen, but home? So some of the, the go-to things that I like to direct people towards are, um, there's always like great podcasts out there that are kind of tackling small topics that are tend to be very topical, but you know, they really encapsulate like our great capsules of snippets of a larger subject that I think are great. I really love uh, a few books out there. Um, 
one being entitled um, How Bad Are Bananas? And it's by a gentleman um, from England named Mike Berners-Lee. And he's one of the foremost experts in climate change. And he really breaks it down in such a really accessible way that for anybody to understand, again, like this isn't my, this isn't what I spent my undergrad doing. I haven't focused on what the meanings of carbon dioxide are and how do they compare to methane and <laughs> things like that. And, you know, I, I spent most of my twenties and early thirties now thinking about like different types of mezcal and <laughs> how to pay my employees decent wages. And um, so it's really great to have like access to books like his where he just goes through and tells you about like, you know, this is the carbon footprint of bananas. These are the things that affect it. And, and he really like, you know, he'll talk about the carbon footprint of a text message and things like that. And I think it's, he has a great manner that's really enjoyable to read and um, just makes you kind of think about all the things that you sort of take for granted. That's a great book. I also um, just reread a book called The Organic um, Manifesto. For me, that book is incredibly important because I have such a huge emphasis um, as a bartender, as a bar and restaurant owner on agriculture. And I think a lot of people have spent the last couple decades thinking about like farm to table and food or, you know, thinking about coffee as like fair trade and agricultural products, but they don't really use that lens on spirits and alcohol. Um, but when I look at my back bar here at the, at Hunky Dory, I, I, all I see are like just bottles of representations of agriculture. And for me, those that is like one of the most important things that you can engage in with the sustainability conversation is just paying attention to how your food and how everything that comes from the earth is processed. And I just found that incredibly re-inspiring to go back and reread something uh, that was so meaningful when it was written 10 years ago and resonates so much today. And I think you're bringing up a really interesting point, too, around people can really easily conceptualize now something like nose to tail or farm to table, but very rarely do we think about spirits in that same way. Why do you think that's different? Um, I think that there's just so much more marketing around spirits, and so... There's a, there's just a lot of like lifestyle marketing around it. Um, they're often being translated to a glass through a cocktail. And so there's just a few more steps between kind of understanding what the beverage is itself and where it comes from before it gets to your mouth. And, uh, and then there's also the fact that you're like engaging with a bartender. And so there's just like so many different layers that you kind of have to peel away before you get to uh, a spirit's like true essence and breaking all of that away, which are all those things are incredibly enjoyable. Like, <laughs> you know, sitting before a good bartender and um, enjoying a great cocktail and having great ambience around all of that is enjoyable in itself. 
And so I think it's hard to strip it all away and look at a bottle and look at the juice inside of it as something that is representative of, um, you know, a family or a company's perspective on how they like grow and harvest this agricultural product that will eventually become alcohol. And so, yeah, I just, and a lot of alcohol comes from corn and grain and things like that, which is something that I, especially like, I think that the general public just doesn't really pay that much attention to because it's grains are taken for granted more so than maybe any other agricultural product uh, that the United States makes. And so it's easy to think about like this romantic story about how this rum is made or how this mezcal producer is, you know, wild foraging agave and distilling it. But when you think about like corn and barley and things like that or wheat, it's, there's just like less of a, maybe less of a romantic story about it, even though it is such a huge substantial part of our agricultural economy and so many people dedicate their lives to it. And I think really refocusing on the fact that it's a product of people's hands and labor and thinking about that and then thinking about what the earth also gives to that and what we give back to it in the production of it is uh, something that we all kind of need to like refocus back on. Yes, agreed. I, I think... I mean, we're divorced from where our food comes from in so many ways, right? It would be interesting. All I can think now, based on what you said, is do we need to start garnishing drinks? Like, does a vodka drink get a slice of potato, right? (laughs) Start to conceptualize it again. Right, right. Yeah, it's terrible, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, again, you know, it's... We want to make it a part of our day-to-day conversation when we, when each of us come to work here, um, and then also when we engage with our guests. But at the same time, we're we're very um, cognizant of the fact that not everybody's coming in here to get a lecture, and so we want to carry unique products and make these like subtle hints on our menu that kind of allude to the fact that we are having greater conversations amongst ourselves about where our spirits come from and everything in between. And if guests are engaged enough or if their interests are peaked, hopefully something more can come of that. But it's always a fine line to walk. And when you're just trying to run like a nice neighborhood business. And I think that the more that we do end up having avenues to talk about it that are more intentional, like this podcast, for instance, um, the more that people will become aware or hopefully they'll become a, they'll already be guests here and didn't know, or they'll become new guests. And I, I really think that we're forging this like little community of just great food activists and human race activists and earth activists um, within our little neighborhood of Crown Heights, and we couldn't be prouder. How do you balance the not being preachy while still being creative on a culinary level? 
I think that a lot of people think of sustainability as uh, as something that should prohibit them from creating great food and drinks or great hospitality experiences. And I just, for us, it, we use it to inspire flavors. We use it to just create like more delicious things. And so it's it's not so much a balance. It's a jumping off point for us. And it's really what I think drives every single person that comes to work here. We try not to be preachy, but honestly, it's not even like really an effort. Our day-to-day is just making people happy. And if they're happy to just come and sit down and enjoy a cocktail, we're totally fine with that. It, we're not fulfilled necessarily by this direct interaction with guests and getting them to understand what we do and going home and, you know, getting rid of all their plastic bags. <laughs> uh, that's all what we're, we're trying to do. We're just here to, um, you know, create a neighborhood space, create a conversation, have meaningful changes within our systems, have meaningful partners in our community locally and globally. Um, and, you know, we feel very successful and fulfilled in those, in those goals. I would like to, you know, personally, I would love for every bar and restaurant to be striving towards the same goals. But at the end of the day, it's just, it's really hard to be in business, not just in New York, but I think everywhere. And so a lot of it is trying again to refocus the conversation on sustainability as a source of inspiration, but also sustainability as a way to create a better business model. And a lot of the things that we do, yes, some, some of them cost more money. So using local farms that only grow organic costs a little bit more money, but also saving on water because we're so um, efficient with our water usage here at the restaurant, um, that saves us on our bills. Um, being more conscious about food waste also saves us on our bills. And I think kind of driving to make awareness around the fact that sustainability can make you feel good, but also um, create a better bottom line for your business or even in your own household is, is something that I think is a really interesting part of the conversation that isn't necessarily being driven home enough in talks about sustainability. And so we try to raise awareness about that as much as possible too. That's a great point. And this is coming from someone who is a CPA and at the beginning of my career was helping to turn around companies that were on the precipice of bankruptcy. So like what you're talking about is very it seems very common sense to me, right? Coming from that lens of like, businesses are meant to be profitable. And I think what you're saying is so important because it feels good to talk about sustainability and the efforts you're making there. I find a lot of, especially small business owners are often uncomfortable talking about like the nuts and bolts of like generating a profit right? Like one feels good. One feels a little, I don't know if tawdry is the right word, (laughs) right? Like there's like, 
there's a lot of money issues I think that come up sometimes too. Mm-hmm. What yeah. do you, what what have your from your perspective and your experience like what have you seen from other bar and restaurant owners like how do they react to you? Honestly, I in New York I've been seeing a lot of other businesses kind of pop up with the same ideals. I get lots of messages like via Instagram, like, hey, I'm really trying to um, address waste in our program. Can you give me some tips? Um, So I think that there is like, in general, like just a lot more awareness. I also think that, you know, whether whatever side you fall on any political um, line that I think in general, people are just trying to feel like they can make small changes within their lives to feel like more active, more like participants of, of different systems. And so I just find that people are like completely more engaged in general, but for small businesses across the board, I mean, you know, sometimes I just get a little bit of like a pat on the head, honestly, like, that's nice. That's like what you do. But I think if, they saw or paid attention to our books and I am very transparent about like what we spend here at the at hunky dory that they would find some inspiration in that model too we have like very low water bills which equate to huge savings across the board I like to say that ice is just two ingredients water and electricity So anytime you're saving on ice, you're saving on both. Um, And so oftentimes when our water bills go down, our electricity goes down. And right now, in fact, we're, I've been implementing a lot of steps to do a really big electricity, like focus for our staff here in the space. You know, we were all kind of taught when we were younger, like, if you leave a room, turn the light off, things like that. Um, Don't leave the sink on when you're brushing your teeth. Um, But for whatever reason, when people step behind bars or in kitchens, like that kind of basic at-home common sense goes out the window and maybe because they're not necessarily directly responsible for those bills. We're trying to just instill good behavior awareness within our staff and I'm really excited because we're we're celebrating our our one year anniversary so congrats thank you um so moving forward with like this big focus on electricity within our space we now have comparative data from last year to kind of show the you know what changes we've made not just in our usage which is huge and comes from non-sustainable non- regenerative sources, but also we can kind of show how that affects our utility bills and our bottom line. And hopefully that'll be inspiration for other spaces as well. Amazing. And Claire, how do you and your staff tackle a problem? Like when you decide, all right, we're going to put our focus and energy on electricity and what we can do there. How do you research it? How do you break it down? How do you work on coming up with experiments to make? Well, to be honest, um, a lot of what we've been doing has been based off my own previous experience, uh, my own personal research. This first year in business has been um, 
just a real wild ride <laughs> to say the least. And I'm so appreciative of everyone that's come along on it with me. And, and you're still standing. I know, just barely. <laughs> but um, this year, you know, we focus a lot on just getting systems in place, um, being able to function in the day-to-day, you know, just being like provide great service this first year. And now in our second year, uh, my goal is to really get the staff like just more engaged and more informed about all these things that we're striving to do. I always like make this really cheesy reference to Lord of the Rings where I'm like, everybody has to know the goal and like the journey we're getting on (laughs) if it's going to be successful. And it can't just be like a, a top down approach. It can't just be like a leader driving it. It has to, it really has to resonate and have meaning towards every single person on the staff from the servers, to the baristas, to the dishwashers, every single person has to be on board. Um, otherwise it'll be, it just makes it so much harder. And I'm just, I'm just really looking forward to getting more people involved and hopefully just adding more value into their day-to-day work. I think that the people that come in here and um, make our food and serve the drinks and make the coffee, I, I would love to think that they all love working here, but I, I really just want them to feel like even greater pride and greater meaning and in the work that we do here. How does that impact your hiring choices? Well, I'll say that we do certainly attract a certain type of person that wants to come and work here because even though it might not be interaction to interaction, um, driving home like our values, it is relatively like well known within New York like this is what we do and this is what we stand for Um, so we do certainly attract a certain type of person that is already engaged or wants to be more involved in in change or in a place that like has values above uh, beyond just making a, a dollar off food and drinks we're really lucky to have like a great hiring pool to draw from But honestly, like, I think anybody, you know, if they care about others, they can find, like, value in what we do. For us, we focus on just trying to find people that like serving people, (laughs) which sounds, like, really obvious. But um, there's so many people in in restaurants and bars that don't enjoy it. And, um, you know, it's just something that pays the bills. And... We just really want to have people on our staff that just really enjoy making people happy, enjoy interacting with other people um, that want to be, you know, not just uh, an order taker or a drink maker, but really form real human connections. And typically those things will lead to, you know, people being more interested in our, in our greater values. And so they all kind of go hand in hand, but we're just wanting to have like nice, friendly people here (laughs) at the end of the day. And um, that's what's most important to us. As someone who's like transitioning to the world of user experience and service design, I totally, I totally 
feel you, right? Like the experience is the most important thing. And then it's sort of like, okay, in order to create the experience that you dream of, do you have the people, the processes and the props in place to actually deliver that, right? Like that's kind of a worldview that I come from these days. Yes, it's definitely um, something very underrated. Like I've had dinner in like three-star Michelin restaurants and the service was so dry and unwelcoming and just uninspired that it made that meal taste incredibly bad. And then I've at the same time had like a sandwich in a, a bodega that cost $3 and the people that were working there were just genuinely like hospitable and great. And it made that sandwich taste so much better and had so much more memorable value to me than that three-star Michelin dinner that we paid way too much money for. So (laughs) um, I think that um, you can't just deliver on one element. um, And that is kind of consistent with what I'm trying to say about sustainability is we can't just be delivering on this one part of our agenda and then alienate people from because of bad service or because of bad product. We have to deliver on every single level for our business to be financially sustainable, but also for people to want to come back. And we can take any one of those elements and build upon our guests, our community's engagement from there. And um, you just can't do one without the other. Absolutely. It's As I'm listening to you, I hear the juggling act, right? Like where it's, do you have the food? Do you have the drinks? Are you providing the experience? Are you also able to live within your value set and like what you want to bring to your industry and what you're, you're trying to test and work out and implement around sustainability? I mean, it's a lot to take on. Yes, certainly is. <laughs> and we are um, just chipping away at it. And like I said earlier, it's a, it's a journey and an ongoing journey. I hope we never stop learning. I hope I never stop learning. And I hope that we can just keep getting better and better every single day. And um, I hope that our neighborhood appreciates it and supports us so that we can keep doing all the things that we do and we're just, we're, I feel really lucky to be in Crown Heights and for people to have an open ear to what we do. Well, clearly you're a systems thinker. Sort of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, is that your natural default or is that something that you, you learned through experience or training? Um, I definitely think that uh, like this sort of, systems thinking and sometimes where it manifests in like a very linear approach to problem solving is something that is really benefited me in restaurants and bars um, throughout my career. Um, There's just so many things going on all at once and I can walk in on any given day and you know the coffee machine's broken and somebody didn't show up in the kitchen or this computer is acting weird or a guest is having an allergic reaction. And so it can be extremely overwhelming. And so I have a 
I'm very lucky that I have a very, very high tolerance <laughs> for pressure. Um, and I just, I really, I've opened so many bars and restaurants over the years and people always ask me like, does it get any easier? You, it must be like opening the hunky dory must have been a lot easier. And I'm like, it doesn't get easier. You just get faster at solving problems so you can move on to the next one. And so I've taken all of my experience and I just like built this arsenal of like, okay, this is how we're going to do this. These are the steps. These are the procedures to do this. Or this is the system that this, that will make this easier and more successful. And, and so there's just always something happening. And <laughs> if you don't have systems to rely on, it'll all start crumbling very quickly. I also think systems are just like when you really get them instilled into your day-to-day habits and how the employees handle situations, it allows your mind to free up to engage in other ways. Like if you're less focused on like, oh, I need to turn the sink off while I'm brushing my teeth and think of that as like this thing that you really have to concentrate on to um, achieve. And then when it becomes that habit that is reflexive, then your mind is free to think about other things. And whether that is about how do we become more sustainable or how do I have a like more engaged conversation with a guest? I, I just, I think it is all about systems and habits so that we can create more opportunities and more capacity to do other things. Yes. I mean, you're, you're preaching to the choir when you talk to me about systems and habits. I think, at least from my experience, like some people see those things as really boring, right? When, <laughs> when like, when I've like consulted in the past or whatever, and I really get into the weeds with people, I'm like, okay, so this happens. And then where does that piece of paper or object go? Okay. It goes to this person and like really making those things that are invisible a little bit more visible or able to be communicated. I think some people have looked at me like, what is this chick on? Right. (laughs) She's driving us nuts with all these questions. But to your very important point that I want to, I want to dial up here if you create those systems, they become something you can replicate. They become something automatic. They can become sort of like the new normal, right? And they can Mm -hmm. be designed. You can change them. You can re-engineer them as needed, but like overall, they become this thing that like you're sort of on autopilot running and you can train people. And then to your point, also, that extra capacity like it gives you the brain space or just headspace to think about what can I do better? What can I do different? And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, even today we, we rescheduled this call mostly because, you know, the plumbing broke, right? right. <laughs> you have to deal with these emergency things. So sometimes it's forward looking and sometimes it's just trying to keep the, the train on the tracks, right? Exactly. Exactly. And So you don't want to have to worry about all your people like scrambling. You want them to just kind of fall into, okay, this is what happens now that this new situation arises. And um, it's just so nice to be able to have those things in place and 
not worry about all the moving parts as much because everybody kind of knows, knows the lane that they're in and what we need to do to get to the next space. And systems are, they're just so important. And at the same time, we try not to build a lot of roles within our system. So we want people to have like certain amounts of autonomy within them um, and freedom to make the best choice. But with that is this unstated message of like an unstated um, value of like providing the knowledge for them to make the best choice that is in the best interest of hunky dory. So I've, I, t- I've tend to find like knowledge is like incredibly empowering and we are able to use knowledge and to make our systems work without creating too many prohibitive rules around that, if that makes sense. Um, we give our people the empowerment to know all the factors to make the best decisions. Um, in those times when the systems aren't in place or the systems need to be flexible. And so it's all a lot of moving parts, but that's what makes it so much fun. (laughs) Yeah, because you don't want people to be robots. Like you want them to have some ability to like react and critically think. Mm -hmm. What's helped you align them for those moments where they have to kind of go, outside the system or something comes up that there is no system for yet? Um, I think just having this general sense of hospitality and making that like such an important part of what we do here day to day. People will act in the best interest of our restaurant um, but they do that by acting in the best interest of, of our guests. And those things aren't exclusive of each other. They oftentimes will, you know, help support each other. And so we we're really lucky that people are able to be aware that the guest comes first and generally that will help support the business. Got it. So we've stumbled on this idea of how much you're juggling. And I guess I also heard you mention having a high tolerance for pressure. And then I'm hearing everything that you're doing around sustainability and that you've been running a restaurant for a year in probably one of the more competitive cities in the world for your work. This probably feels like a a natural segue to what this podcast is about and navigating bullshit and sidestepping burnout. Have you ever burned out? Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) You sound so calm as I'm talking to you. (laughs) I mean, when I say I have a high tolerance for like pressure and the day-to-day that comes with this business and the other ventures I do, it's true. But I'm also very, I think... There is a tendency in bars and restaurants to glorify being overworked or creating physical, emotional, um, mental pain from the day-to-day loads that we carry. Um, And so I want to be really careful to um, say that I'm not wearing that as a, 
<laughs> as like a merit or a medal on my sleeve. I think that finding work-life balance is incredibly important and it's something that I strive to do every day. And one of my goals is to get to the point where I can have more of that. But all of that being said, yeah, there's definitely been times where I've been burnt out. Um, I'm really lucky that I have a, a good support system personally and amongst my professional peers that I can kind of confide in them. Um, I had this uh, physical incident come up uh, almost two years ago where I had um, ended up having to have spinal surgery and which is a pretty big deal for somebody that is on their feet. It's a big deal for anybody of any age, but um, where so much of my livelihood is about being on my feet and being physically able on multiple levels and, and mentally able on so many different levels and emotionally able to kind of, you know, interact with guests and all their various needs. And I had uh, two of my discs collapse on my nerve that ran down to my arm. And um, over the course of several months after dealing with maybe a few years of symptoms of it, it became so extreme. (laughs) Yeah, it became so extreme. And I wasn't, yeah, I was sleeping like three hours a night and just in so much pain and trying every single type of alternative medicine or um, remedy to help relieve that pain. And I pretty much did everything under the books to try to get to that point. But after several tests and none of those things really coming to fruition, I ended up having to have spinal surgery and I'm like good as new, but I will say that one of the things that I'm most grateful about that whole experience was that I just became so much more in touch with my body's limits. And I think that we're so used to working through pain and not even in this industry, but most industries and, and we kind of just brush it off or we like pat ourselves on the back for not letting ourselves succumb to it. But I think it's, really important to listen to your body, listen to all the symptoms um, that you're dealing with, whether it manifests in physical pain, et cetera. And so I'm grateful for that experience because it did make me much more aware of that. It led me to this practice of meditation that I've continued to carry on with. Um, I never thought I would be like a person that meditated, to be honest. (laughs) I was like, I, you know, I like yoga. I like doing all those things, but I'm not like sitting at home meditating. And, um, it really helped me, you know, just find uh, a place of peaceful, um, really thoughtful engagement with my own self. And it's something that has continued on as I've dealt with the different stresses of being a small business owner, it's really helped me be in touch with all the things that my body is trying to tell me about my abilities and limitations and where I can go from there to to be a better business owner and to be a better boss and to be a better bartender and um, everything in between. So um, that was that was probably my lowest point as an adult, and um, I'm just grateful to have 
had the opportunity to come out on the other end and to be just so much more in touch with myself and also have greater empathy for what other people are going through. Claire, thanks for sharing that. It's it's not always easy, especially publicly, to talk about when we've when we've burned out or or sort of gotten the memo from the universe. But I think it's so important for women to be sharing this. I mean, just humans in general. And I guess the listeners have heard about my meditation practice for years. Like I'm a I'm a daily meditator. What does your routine look like? For me, I tend to take time like when I'm going to well, there's like kind of three instances where I I really take the time for myself and that's when I'm waking up. I think that kind of going from sleep to the crazy <laughs> 100 miles per hour that is uh, like day-to-day life is can be very jarring on different levels. And so I kind of try to take that moment to just ease into it and connect with myself. And I'm also like extremely like anti having like uh, cell phones in bed and things like that. Um, So I try to limit my distractions and I'm like, this is my safe space and this is my personal time is here and, you know, try not to fall into that Instagramming news (laughs) watching. um, (laughs) Where suddenly hours go by. Yes, exactly. Um, So Usually when I wake up, it's like my time to like really wake up and um, first just be in touch with myself before entering the rest of the world. And then I got really into baths, which is like such a great thing to do as an adult. It's so underrated. Um, Yes, they are so good. (laughs) I'm like, I'm very, very into baths. I, (laughs) I just got like this new like, I guess, bath uh, board thing to like hold my book and, uh, oh, all, you know, large player. <laughs> I know it's very exciting, especially for like a, a, a Brooklyn dweller, like to have that luxury <laughs> is incredibly, um, lucky. But so in that moment, and then I also work with, um, when I was going through all that pain and I was, trying different types of body work. I started working with um, a woman um, that focuses on fascia, which is tissue fluid that kind of surrounds all your muscle tissues and bones and whatnot. So I have like some little decompression exercises that I do at the end of the day that she taught me that kind of like recenters my hips and back. And so I take that time to kind of do small practices. But honestly, I have so much on my mind that I do a lot of like guided meditations. There's like different apps and things like that. And I'm not always like strong enough to do it myself and focused enough to be a person that is like so intentional about this is my time for meditation. And so I will use different apps that have guided meditations on them that um, really just makes me focus in a way that I'm not 
always strong enough to do by myself. And that's been really helpful. It's funny to hear you use the word strong because like I always think of meditation that it's not about like strength or weakness. It's just about like being there, right? But I hear your point about it's nice to have kind of the meditation equivalent of bumper guards, right? Like it keeps you slightly in your lane, but doesn't, doesn't totally mess up your game, right? Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it makes it a little bit easier or accessible, especially if your brain is like, you know, cooking on all four burners in your case, or probably, mm-hmm. probably more burners than that in, in your case, really. <laughs> It's certainly been helpful. So I, um, yeah, I'm become a a person that's very open to all sorts of different exercises and things like that. And um, I'm just like lucky to, I don't know, it's weird to say that I'm lucky to have had spinal surgery or needed spinal surgery, but I feel like so much better off from the entire experience. And um, it sounds like it woke you up in, in some way. Oh, it definitely did. I think that, again, there's just so much weight that everyone carries in their day-to-day work lives. And, but in the hospitality industry specifically, like you're often dealing with people dealing with those <laughs> day-to-day problems. And, um, and so it can be like, there's just, um, like you're just taking on a lot of stress because you want to, because you're the bartender and you want to be that place of relief for people, but it's, it can just be a, it can be a lot. And so there's just a, like a lot of emotional labor that goes into it in general and to deny the fact that that manifests itself in other ways, including like physical ways is, is doing yourself a disservice. And so and your guests a disservice at the end of the day because you'll eventually run out of space for them. Yeah, it's what you're saying makes me think of way back when, when I was sort of moonlighting as a Pilates instructor, right? And I was still working in finance at the time. So I would finish, you know, a full like eight to 10 hour day. And then I would go to the studio and teach for a few hours, several nights a week and on the weekends. And when you're working in an office, there is politics and getting buy-in and trying to make these big, wieldy processes move in certain ways. And there's like that challenge, but it was a completely different mindset when I had to learn like whatever was going on, whether it be in my personal life or whether it be in my day job, whatever was going on, I had to find some separation between that and like being in front of my client and being fully present with whatever their needs were. And that's a lot of work some days, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, it's challenging enough to really listen that deeply and be observing that deeply and caring for another person. But then when you have to sort of like fold up everything happening in your own life and sort of put it in a back, an invisible backpack on your back and carry it around all day, it's it's hard. Yeah. It's just, it's not just the hospitality industry. It's anybody that has to interact with anyone else or has to pay their bills. And so we all take, like, it's all contextual and um, relative. And um, I can't 
stress enough, like just listen to yourself, listen, pay attention to the signs and find ways if you can to do small things regarding self-care and self-preservation so it doesn't get so extreme that it limits your options. Well, Claire, you're, you're offering some very wise and hard-won advice for people listening, but I always like to turn it back over to the guest at the end of the podcast. What do you most want Levital Core Salon listeners to know or to take away from our conversation today? I would like for your listeners and for anyone that comes in the hunky-dory to know that big changes, um, big goals and sustainability are amazing, but even just the small day-to-day changes that you can do and the small ways that you can be more thoughtful about like all of our precious resources, whether it's things that come from the planet or your own mental, physical well-being, like all of those small changes have a lot of value and they all add up to everyone's happiness and they're all worth celebrating. And ultimately, like, it's really easy to be, I think, like a little down and out about various situations around the globe and to be stressed out about whatever impending doom that you may read about (laughs) in the news, but just to find ways to like use those things to feel inspired and to make changes can, I just, I feel like they're really motivating and most people hesitate to think of themselves as like sustainable people or I'm a sustainable person and, you know, making those small changes eventually like they will creep into other ways that you interact in your life and you can feel very find a lot of fulfillment in all those small things because they just they add up to so much and we're all in it together and we should all be contributing in whatever small big ways that we're able to and um I want it to be a very inclusive and inspiring movement generally our message here at hunky dory and which is why like it's such like a nice like sunny place when you go into it's hopefully it's a, a space of inspiration and positivity claire what you're doing has been such an inspiration to me personally before we hit record, you know, I shared how much I, I really went down the well. Like every time I read an article and like what you were doing, it was like, wow. And she's so kind of like chilled out and like unfussy about it. And like really just like about pushing the ball forward instead of shaming people around like what they're not doing or how little they're doing, or how, you know, just that push and that like aggressiveness that can sometimes be found. It's been such a joy to talk to you and to to hear more about how you're approaching a business, but, but also keeping these ideals, sustainability and lower waste, but also balancing things like being a profitable, successful business. <laughs> It's truly impactful. I think you gave us a lot to think about. And really, what you're doing is so important and necessary. And thank you for doing it. 
how cool is it to see what Claire is building at Hunky Dory? I hope you dug listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it for you. And if you did, please share this episode with one human you know, and either follow Hunky Dory on Instagram and give them a little extra love, or really do consider the Help Our Hunkies on GoFundMe. I know from Claire that the business is hanging on by a thread, and really, it's so important to be supporting these small businesses in this time. Also, all of the resources that Claire and I mentioned, books and things like that, are all in the show notes that you can find over at Le Vital Core Salon. L-E, vital, C-O-R-P-S, and then salon.com. And thank you to Claire, to my producer, Craig, my assistant, Darlene Victoria, Rishi Deer, the High Dials, and most importantly, you for listening and continuing to support this podcast. I know it's a lot easier to say than do right now, but don't forget, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let bullshit or burnout stop you. Bye.